Hi, everyone. Welcome to Be Kind to Your Monkey Mind, a podcast about creating the life of your dreams. As a professional life coach with a background in so many things, including psychology and mindfulness, I'd like to take you on a real-life, sometimes comical journey of self-discovery, radical acceptance, and personal development. This is Episode 3 a podcast book report. Hey everybody, I'm super excited to talk to you today because I was working on episode three and it was going to be all about gratitude and then this book came across my desk from a friend who recommended it to me and it dovetails so powerfully into some of the things that I've been wanting to discuss with you that I thought I would scrap the other episode and just get right down to business. And the book is called Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle. So basically what it says is that everybody's really stressed, right? And we have stress and we have stressors but we don't necessarily move through stress in the appropriate ways in order to get our body through the stressful time and into a place of wellness. And it's interesting because I think in our culture right now, um, there's so many stressors. We have internal stressors, we have external stressors. Um, We are stuck in a cycle of stress that's global, uh, local, and also individual. And I think that we all want to be well and happy, but wellness is not really a place that you can get to. It's something that we need to be aware of, learning how to use proper tools and proper knowledge to move through stressful situations and get to the other side so that we can get back to a place of wellness, right? So the book is very, um, very helpful with that because I think the first thing it does is define the difference between stress and stressor, right? So a stressor is something that causes us stress, right? So we have stressors at work and we have stressors at home and we might have stressors in our family system, maybe, you know, a parent right now who is in a nursing home that we can't see, right? But there's a difference between a stressor and stress. So stress is what happens to our body as a result, our body and our mind as a result of a stressor. And what happens very, very often is we believe that if we remove the stressor, that the stress is going to stop or go away. And one of the things that I thought was really, really awesome in the in the book is that they talk about what we actually have to do to get the stress out of our body because taking the stressor away isn't the whole thing. Yes, it helps and it keeps it from becoming a chronic issue, but if we don't do something to, you know, close the loop so to speak and and figure out how to signal to our bodies that the stressor is gone and that we're back in a safe place, we can stay in a perpetually Um, heightened stress uh, response, right? And we all know that chronic stress is really, really bad for us. It's bad for our physical body. It's bad for our mental health. And it's bad for our relationships. 
The other piece of the book that I thought was really powerful um, is this this whole concept of being a human giver, right? And they talk in the story about human giver syndrome and how many, many people who are human givers and the ones who suffer from it the most are women. And, you know, it's funny because I know for a fact that I was a chronic human giver and the definition of a human giver is someone who is taught to prioritize appearance, happiness, calm, generosity, attentiveness, and prioritizing the needs of all others above anything else, right? So, you know, I'm going to read that again. Taught to prioritize appearance, happiness, being calm and generous, and attentive to the needs of all others above anything else, right? So it's funny because I also kind of think that might be the definition of codependency too, but I think there's a couple other layers on here that are interesting in mentioning in terms of being a, having a, you know, a, a pleasant appearance and appearing to be happy all the time and being generous all the time and attentive to the needs of others all the time. And even as I was writing notes for this recording, I was hesitant to say that most chronic human givers, as they call it, are women. I was censoring myself. I was censoring my thoughts because I didn't want to upset anyone, which actually illustrates the definition, right? And so, you know, it's tough because I believe that the women's movement is really, really important. And I understand how patriarchal systems work and why it's a thing. But I'm also raising two young men and I have two older brothers and I know that they suffer from societal conditioning as well. It's just a different kind of suffering. So there's a lot of times when these kinds of subjects will come up for me, aside from the chronic human giver syndrome that I'm sure I'm like the president of, I I hesitate to to take a side in that because I really believe that anyone who's trying to live authentically is going to recognize that there's been some conditioning in their life that has has made them, you know, a little bit farther away from who they are as as their true human self, right? So I just wanted to put that out there because I want people to realize that I don't think everything is necessarily gender gender specific, right? I I know many men who are uh, chronic human givers as well. So I just wanted to put that out there. And I also wanted to say too, is that the more I get involved in doing this podcast and the more people I talk to, the more I'm going to try to push through my monkey mind voice that says, don't upset the system. Because every time I censor myself, I feel like I'm doing a disservice to the people who I talk to in general who share share these issues and share um, hesitation to put themselves out there and to really and to really really get what they need back from others and that's a big piece of this this human given giver syndrome as well right is if you're always doing for others and you're never asking for anything for yourself you're going to be exhausted And that was really the bottom line for me wanting to talk about this book is because it's been coming up over and over and over in my coaching and in my talkings and in my readings that women are exhausted. 
we are the ones who take care of traditionally most things that happen in the home. And as a result of COVID, we're taking on more and more. Now we're not just, you know, mommy and cook and uh, what did they used to say? Chief cook and bottle washer. <laughs> That's how old I am. Um, but now women are also doing, you know, work from home expertise and, you know, child rearing and, you know, homeschooling as well. And so there's not an equitable division in a lot of cases. Um, yes, I know there are exceptions. I know there are dads who are great at homeschooling. I know there are dads and, you know, other caregivers who are picking up, you know, part of the weight, but the majority of women who I speak to are exhausted. They're just overwhelmed and exhausted. And so I wanted to speak to those people right now because I think it's really, really important to first of all recognize when you're not managing your stress well, right? You know, how do I know if I'm if I'm making myself sick? You know, we we don't often listen to our bodies. We wait until something goes wrong, and then we try to retroactively, you know, figure out how to how to make ourselves well. And so there are come some specific signs that you can tell that you're not managing your stress well. And one of them is that um, your body is telling you, right? Like I'm always saying in, in a lot of my you know videos and writings that our body keeps the score, right? And so if you're feeling, you know, achy and you're feeling lethargic and you just don't have the usual energy that you would bring to the world, that is a clue, right? You're just not feeling like yourself. Um, also, like I said, little aches and pains or maybe, you know, uh, lower back pain, neck stress or neck, you know, neck tension is another another really big, big clue. Maybe you've been getting sick recently and and not feeling like you're getting well as quickly as you would have in the past. Um, the other really, really powerful sign is that you're, you've collapsed into, into hiding. You're, you're not going out and seeing people, which, which we're all not doing right now, which is an issue. Um, you know, you're not, you're not seeking out the people who you used to seek out and you're, you know, trying to, trying to avoid different situations. Um, you lose your temper more frequently and at inappropriate times and you you recognize it and you you're apologizing for your temper um, that's another really really powerful way way to know and recognize that you're overstressed and that you're not managing um, and the other one that they mentioned in the book is getting stuck on repeat I'm guilty of this one myself um, you know, it's like you're going through the motions and you're doing things and your mind is racing and you're not really feeling like you're getting anywhere. And the only way to sort of stop that is to, you know, kick the record player and, and try to try to change things up. But if you're overwhelmed and you're not managing your stress and you're hiding and you're on repeat and you're losing your temper, um, it's already it's already too late for that. So pay attention, pay attention to your body, pay attention to your routine, pay attention to your relationships. Um, and also, you know, paying attention to your expectations of yourself and others is another way to pay attention to your stress. It's a time right now where our expectations are not being met in the same way that they used to be. And so we have to, we have to recreate our expectations. 
So what do we do, right? We know we're stressed. We know we're overwhelmed. We don't see it changing anytime soon. You know, what, what's the deal? And so the point of this book is that life is stressful. It's not going to just become less stressful. I do believe personally that over time, you know, through the mindfulness practice and the four C's coaching model that I created, the chemistry, conditioning, consciousness, and change, that we can start to better create the life that we want that doesn't have as many stressors, right? We always have the ability to create more choice for ourselves. But right now, when people are feeling overwhelmed, you know, change isn't always what they're looking for. What they're looking for is just help me to manage what's happening right now. And so in order to do that, we first must recognize, like I said at the beginning, the difference between stress and stressor and recognize that just because you remove a stressor or a stressor goes away, that it's not going to take it away from your body. Your body doesn't know the difference. And so how can we de-stress or, can, or close the loop, as they say? So their theory is that your body needs to end the stress cycle. And that what happens very often is that we don't do things to end the stress cycle. And the reason why we end the stress cycle is to signal to our body that we've returned to safety, right? So it's fascinating because there are a couple different ways we deal with stress and we've all heard fight or flight, right? You know, either we are gonna stay and, you know, kick the shit out of that bear that's been chasing us, or we're gonna run like hell to safety, or we're gonna freeze because that's all we have at our disposal. And any choice we make and any physiological choice that happens, whether we're conscious of it or not, or not, raises our cortisol level and raises our heartbeat and changes our chemistry in our body and in our brain for those momentary times when we need the, that fight or flight response. Unfortunately, in our world, we're not really being chased by a bear, right? And we're not really, you know, we're not really going to fight. We're just stressed, stressed as all hell, right? And our body is responding physiologically to that stressor as if it was an emergency situation, right? The other fourth one they mentioned, which I think is really powerful to, to include because we don't hear about it as much, is sort of like a, they consider it like a so, social safety, right? So the example that they use is when, you know, you're walking down the street and maybe someone inappropriate, inappropriately yells something at you, right? And, you know, your first instinct might be to fight, to yell back and say, hey, don't say that to me, or who the hell do you think you are, or something like that, or run because you feel like that person is, is threatening to you in some way. But because of our societal norms and expectations, we don't do those things. We, we close our mouth and we continue to walk and we try to remove ourselves as quickly as possible because that's the safe thing to do. It's safe in a work environment when someone treats you a certain way that you feel is inappropriate. We don't stand up and yell at that person. We don't cry. We don't slam the door and walk away. We swallow it down and we wait until we can return to safety and, and, and then hopefully deal with it at a later time. And so that's another way that you know our culture has shaped 
how we manage stressors. And so we need to pay attention to those things because if we don't ever close the loop on those things as well, our, it stays in our head and in our heart that this happened, but it's not resolved in a, in a physiological way, right? So how do, we, how do we recognize the different ways that we need to manage and resolve the stress and close the loop? Well, some of them are obvious. Physical exercise continues to be number one, right? Going for a run, um, dancing, riding bikes, doing something, you know, kickboxing, something that will, you know, get your heart rate up, get a little sweat going and, you know, get some endorphins and some oxytocin into your body to, to reset that physiology and to get some of that adrenaline out of your body, right? Physical exercise. But not everybody's into physical exercise. It doesn't work for every person. And how do you know when you've closed the loop? Like what's the thing? And most people describe it as a sort of a sort of calm exhaustion, right? It's kind of like if you're ever in a really high stress situation, like maybe your child falls and you, you know, you have to clean up the blood and go to the emergency room and all those other things. You're in that adrenaline place and you don't calm down and really, really get that wave of relaxation until a couple hours later when maybe you're you know you have a chance to see them being okay and then you maybe eat something and then you you know you slow down your body will tell you when you've returned to that that calm safe space another one is laughter not you know socially appropriate laughter where you're being kind to someone but like belly laugh like a really funny movie or laughing till your sides hurt with a with a friend um, that is a way to release adrenaline and also, you know, reconnect with, you know, the brighter side of life. That's a really, really powerful one. Another one is creative expression. You know, a lot of people who don't necessarily connect with, you know, maybe running a mile are someone who might like to journal or paint a picture or, um, write music or play guitar or something like that, where you're connecting to that creative side of yourself, taking your heart rate down, taking some pleasure in something that you're creating is a really, really powerful way to close the loop on your stress cycle. Another one is connection to others. And this is a big one. We are in a time right now when we're not as connected and it's tough and we're not as physically connected to others because of, you know, worry about health and safety and things like that. And the thing that people forget is that when you're with other people, you're constantly co-regulating with each other, right? So you're mirroring and syncing. And what that means is that you know, when you're with other people and you're talking to them and you're making eye contact and you're breathing and you're making facial expressions that you mirror the other person, those are very natural things for us to do. And when we're not in connection with other people, we really do suffer from it. And so if you find yourself getting very, very stressed, you know, one really quick way to pull yourself out of that is to speak to somebody face-to-face -face, if possible, even if it's at a safe distance, and just have a conversation about what's going on and choose someone who has the capability to listen and to reflect back to you, you know, that you're a good person and that you're going to be fine and that you're doing the best you can and that you've gotten through hard things in the past and 
talking about things that are future-based and and making plans for doing fun things. And, and if you're speaking about memories, that you're speaking about things that were powerful for you in a positive way. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of different things that happen when people connect with each other. There's another thing that they mention in the book that I think is really powerful as well, and it dovetails, like I said, along with the four C's model of the consciousness piece is, you know, finding meaning, finding meaning in the things that you're doing in the world. I struggle with that as well when, especially with this podcast, like what is the whole point of doing this? It's, I was telling you guys, it's hard work and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's stressful and I worry so much about how it's going to sound and whether the words are going to come out right and what's the music and when am I going to release it and all the other things and then I have to remind myself you know what's the meaning what am I what am I doing and what's it for and I remind myself that when I talk to people and they tell me god that was super helpful you know that's that's the point I I want to share my journey what I've learned with you guys and hopefully someone at some point will get something out of it and they'll and then they'll be better for it and that's that's all I can hope right one one person at a time something that they were referring to which I thought was really cool is this concept of separate knowing connected knowing and constructed knowing so you might be able to guess that women are much more likely to participate in connected knowing. And so connected knowing is when you're speaking with someone who's talking to you about something that's going on with them. They're connecting with you on a lot of different levels. They're listening, they're empathizing, they're, they're asking curious questions, um, they're mirroring and responding to you in a way that makes you feel that really strong connection. There's separate knowing, which is a much more linear way to connect with someone where it might be more factual, where you would ask someone a question and they would respond to you. Um, You're not connecting with them on a necessarily biological and cellular level like you would when you're connectedly knowing someone. And the third piece, the constructed knowing, is where you take both of those things and you use them to create a picture and a knowledge of someone or something, right? So you would take your separate knowing answers that you get from your very linear linear conversation, right, or investigation, and then you would combine it with connected knowing about a person, Um, what they like, what they sound like, what their energy level is, uh, you know, what's their manner of speaking, what are their likes and dislikes, what are the things that they, you know, um, long for, right? What do they want in the world? And we construct a picture of that person and that's called constructive knowing. And when you have a friend or a colleague or a partner or a, you know, a sibling or whatever it is that has this constructed knowing of you, it's a very, very powerful connection and it can help you very, very quickly close the loop on your stress cycle. I remember um, when I very first lived in the city, there was a a store called Aka Joe and it was jeans and t-shirts and, you know, sweatshirts and things like that. And I, I was working there part-time to, to supplement my income when I very first started working at the Chicago Board of Trade and, you know, cause I needed to pay my rent and buy groceries. 
And so I was working there and one night at Christmas time, a gentleman came in and he was uh, shopping around, African-American gentleman. And he was, you know, he was someone who I could tell possibly had some emotional issues. It was just an energy that I got from him. And he stayed a long time in the store and I didn't know it at the time, but I think he was waiting until the other, the other shoppers left. And so it was just me working at the time and then the manager, but she was in the back, you know, doing stock and inventory and things like that. And so as the evening progressed, he was having me, you know, pull a lot of different things down and stack them up and wrap them up. And, you know, I got the sense that it was a never ending project that he was on because he never really got to the point of trying to pay for anything. And I was starting to get a little bit nervous because like I said, as the other customers started to leave and it started to get later and later, I was just getting that, you know, that sense in my gut that something wasn't right about the situation. And, you know, I could tell a little bit by his clothes and a little bit by, you know, his manner of speech and some of the things, you know, there was an anxiety there that I could, I picked up on. And it's so hard because you don't want to make assumptions, but when you are alone in a store and someone feels threatening, you have to listen to that too. And so I remember thinking, okay, well, it's almost time to close the store. I'm going to I'm going to kind of push the issue and say, hey, you know, let's let's wrap this up. We're about to close. And so I said to him, I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to bring this all over to the register. And, you know, how would you like to pay for this? And so I'm sure you can see where this was going. He pulled out a knife and threatened me with the knife and said that he wanted all the cash in the register. It was very, very scary, very stressful. And, you know, the manager, for some reason at that moment, came out and realized what was happening and started yelling at him and calling the police and it was a it was a it was a shit show right and it was and I was pretty young and you know it was very very stressful and the reason I bring this up is because at that time my brother was living very close to me in the city and the police offered to drive me home and I said, no, you know, I think I'm going to, I'm going to call someone. And so they helped me call my brother and he walked down and we walked home and we talked and he is someone who I've always been very close to. And he made me feel better. He made me feel connected and safe. And, you know, I survived it. It was a, a long, long thing. We had to go and identify this person in a lineup. And I mean, it. This, I could tell the story for hours, but was fascinating to me because when I went to the police station to to identify him in the lineup it wasn't like you see on TV where they line the person up behind the two-way glass they just had him sitting there and we kind of just walked in and walked by and recognized that it was him and some of the women who were in the waiting room with me had given him their wedding rings and their purses and he had been someone who had been targeting you know um, empty stores at Christmas time for quite some time and so it was just an it just a very interesting experience but the reason I share that story is because you know connecting to my brother right after that closed the loop for me i went home i was i was fine i mean not like completely on on 
scarred from it because once something like that happens, you don't forget it. But I was, I was very, very grateful that he was close by and was able to, you know, just talk to me and make sure I was okay. And that's a perfect example of why you need someone who has that constructed knowing about you and, and what they can do. Um, another way to process stress is to cry. And that's another thing that, you know, our culture isn't really, really good at allowing, but tears serve a purpose physiologically and emotionally in our, in our life existence as humans on this planet. And crying is a really, really great way to close the loop, to, to acknowledge that something happened, something shitty or something stressful and to let out those, let out that stress through tears. It's very powerful. And also the one that I'm sure you're surprised I haven't mentioned yet is deep breathing, right? Being from the mindfulness community, the deep breathing and slowing down and reconnecting to our breath is a very quick and powerful way to close the loop on the stress cycle. And if we can get really good at reminding ourselves when we are in a stressful situation to take a few deep breaths, reconnect to our body, acknowledge that we're stressed, acknowledge that it's temporary, and just allow ourselves that moment. Um, So I hope you guys will get this book because I think it's really, really, really good. There's, I only touched on a few things that were in the story and I would hope that you guys would take the time to possibly read it. Um, One of the things that also I'll mention in closing is that, you know, we can change our expectations because when we change our expectations and manage that a little bit better, we can lower our, lower our stress level, right? And so I think right now, when we're dealing with a lot of stuff all at once, you know, the global pandemic, the, you know, racial unrest and tension, especially here in Chicago, uh, a contentious election, um, an economy that's, you know, not growing as much as we'd like, just a lot of uncertainty, right? A lot of uncertainty. One of the things I'll leave you with is that you can do to manage your stress is to just lower your expectations of everything. You know, monitor yourself in terms of what you're expecting yourself to be able to do and let yourself off the hook a little bit about some of this stuff because even though we know intellectually that it doesn't matter if the laundry get gets done and it doesn't matter if we have, you know, the best Christmas ever or whatever it is for you, whatever those expectations you have in your head and in your heart, let yourself off the hook a little bit and acknowledge the fact that there's only so much time, there's only so much energy that you can give and that you have to remember to give some energy to yourself and, you know, ask for help ask for help from the people in our lives. I think as someone, like I said, who has suffered, (laughs) suffered greatly in the, what do they call it? The chronic human, chronic human giver syndrome. um, That is, that is tough sometimes to ask for help from the people in our lives. But I think what you'll find most times is that if you trust someone with 
the, you know, the knowledge that you need help and you allow that person in, you can change your relationships. You can change the trajectory of your day. And I think you might be surprised at how much the other people in your life appreciate you pulling back a little bit and letting them step into that space. Because I will say, as a recovering human giver, that it's also on me to trust other people to pick up that slack. If you never ask for help and you never let anyone else step into the space of helping you in their own way and lower your expectations that they're going to do it exactly how you would have done it and just let them create their own way to do it, you might be surprised and you and you'll and you'll like I said, I think you can change your relationships that way because you're going to you're going to trust more and you're going to realize that it's all going to be okay. And, you know, if you have kids at home and you're trying to teach them how to, how to manage their stress, you're going to be modeling something for them that will be helpful for them going forward. Because, you know, if you're just doing everything all the time and never letting anybody take any responsibility for all of those things, you're creating miniature human givers, right? You're not, you're not letting them see that you can work together as a team and as a connected unit in the household. And I just encourage you to try that. Just try, just try it. And it will feel weird at first and it will feel out of control at first. And it will be hard not to say, hey, can we do it this way? But you can do it. You can bite your tongue. You can leave the house and go do something else and let everybody just figure it out. And they will, they will figure it out. They will rise to the occasion and you'll be better and they'll be better. And I hope you guys, I hope you guys like this podcast. Um, Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing to Be Kind to Your Monkey Mind, and then you'll never miss any new content. Until next time, be kind to your monkey mind.